0: Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian in training and health and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I'm so excited to have you all back here today. Today's episode is really, really awesome, and I'm really excited to release it to the world, to hear. We have on the amazing, the lovely Johanna Renault on the podcast today. Johanna is a digital wellness consultant, a speaker, a coach, a writer, and she's also actually a researcher on technology. And she recently did a PhD on Instagram, believe it or not, and the effects of technology on democracies, culture, and well being, which we definitely talk a lot about in this episode because it's just so fascinating her work and all the different things she talks about. So, Johanna uses her background as a tech founder and entrepreneur, a VC fellow, an executive coach, duty editor, crisis reporter, and researcher to help fulfill her mission of helping people and societies build healthier, more empowered relationships with technology and social media as well by sharing practical tools and knowledge about tech. And how we can be more mindful consumers of social media, which I think we all need to hear a little bit more of these days. I know I'm very guilty of allowing social media to take up a little bit more time than it should in my day, so this conversation is super important for really anyone who has a phone, um, and we don't only talk about social media. We go all over the place in this episode. We talk about cancel culture and the different biases we have when it comes to our consumption of social media, as well as her thoughts on TikTok and a concept called the attention economy, which I thought was super interesting. We also talk about setting boundaries with social media and different tips that you can use so that it doesn't start to control your life. And we also talk about a positive experience she's had with social media in bringing people together and showing people parts of their own country that they weren't really aware of before. So we really go all over the place. We talk about a lot of different things besides what I just said as well. So make sure to listen to the entire episode. The whole entire thing is super interesting, I think, and one of my favorite episodes i've recorded so far so i really hope you guys like it i really hope you can take some tangible tools away as well as some cool new ideas to ponder um i know i did and i just loved this conversation so much so before we get into it I would really, really love if you all left a five-star rating, left a nice review, if you shared this with a friend, posted about it on Instagram, followed us on Instagram at thoughts.on.thriving, and just spread the message because I want to get this podcast out into the ears of as many people as possible and to just be of service to the world. And if you could help me in doing that, that would be amazing. Okay, now that that's out of the way, here is my conversation with the lovely Johanna Renault. Enjoy. All right.
1: Hello, Johanna. How are you today? I'm good. Hi, Ava. Thanks so much for having me. Of really
0: glad to be here. Me too. I'm so excited for our conversation. And I gave you a little intro in the beginning of this episode, but just for the listeners, from your from your point of view, could you just tell us a
1: little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do? For sure. Uh, thanks for asking. So I'm a well digital wellness consultant and coach. Um, I speak about this, I write about it, I you know, create resources around it and This has to do with my experience, you know, as a startup founder, I was in the tech industry for a while. I learned how to be a VC investor from VC investors, which was a totally wild experience. And at the same time, I'm a researcher and I'm doing a PhD on Instagram and bringing these perspective, the practical view, the real life view and my academic background together, I found or I kept seeing, you know, more and more people having challenges with their smartphones, you know, staying on them for way too long, being a bit unhappy about the content they were consuming, you know, the I know so many people who say I go on Instagram, and I feel like crap after 15 minutes. And then at some point, I realized, wait, I have all this knowledge, and I have all this experience, I need to do something with it and share it. So people actually can build what is digital wellness for themselves. And it's, really exciting because I feel like I'm, there are other people doing this, um, but we're still, you know, this whole topic is still pretty early. I would say in the zeitgeist, people are starting to wake up to it. Um, And I'm kind of excited to be, you know, sort of among the first ones to really talk about this constantly and help people build a digital life that, you know, feels good to them. So that's, that's where we are. (laughs) Yeah. It's so
0: awesome what you're doing, because I feel like it's not really spoken about quite enough. And you're right, we are kind of in the beginning stages of pondering what social media, what our phones, what what these things are actually doing to our, our health, our minds. And so I really admire that you're you're kind of using this idea to to bring greater good to this world. But I wanted to ask you if there's anything like in your childhood or mm-hmm. something that you saw growing up that led you to be so fascinated in these topics of, I mean, there was probably no smartphones when you were growing up, (laughs) but you know, just the topics of work-life balance and things like that is like, did you have a parent that worked too much and was consumed by their work or were you just always fascinated by how external things can affect our minds?
1: Mm, I love that question. So I'm, I'm an ideas person. I've always been, you know, I'm Extremely curious. I love learning. I've you know studied all different subjects. I have I got a bunch of degrees just because I'm really really curious. Um, there's basically always a new book next to me anywhere, and I've always had this as a child. And my my dad is a mechanical engineer, um, so I would say that side of the equation really gave me an insight into how technology can be something really fascinating. I remember he, he worked for BMW and we would, you know, as was really little and I would always be like, Sam, how does an engine work? You know, I <laughs> would just ask him really, really sort of silly questions like that because I just always wanted to know the mechanics of everything. And at the same time, you know, I'm 33. So um, I'm, you know, right smack in the middle of the millennials. And I grew up in a small town in the Bavarian Alps. And here we got, we got internet pretty late in general just because of, you know, the area is fairly remote. Um, you know, glass fiber cable only came around, you know, five years ago and into the center of our town. So we're wow. I mean the internet was there. It's not like you know, we were communicating with smoke signals, but everything <laughs> it was a bit slower. And of course, you know, because we're in the peripheries, um it wasn't it didn't feel like you know it was a priority to make us connected to the internet over cities in, in Germany. And so I had this really untethered outdoors childhood up until, you know, even my youth, um, when I think Myspace was a thing when I was about to graduate from high school, that's sort of when it all started. Mm -hmm. So I have this, this memory of having, you know, a a brain and sort of an existence that was very low to no tech. And in a way, you know, I, as a teenager here in the countryside, always thought it was so boring. I wanted to be connected to the world too, because again, I love ideas. I'm really curious. So I think Ask me, part of me would have loved to have a resource like Instagram where, you know, even just having the way the internet is right now to be able to connect to the world and see what's going on. And at the same time, I'm really grateful um, that I had this period in my life where my brain sort of got to form without all the technology. I mean, I would say the downsides of technology and the the challenges that we're seeing, and then we can talk about in in a little bit um i'm really grateful i had that too because now i sort of have i know what it was like before and i still have an appreciation for what technology can do for our lives so i'm not really you know i'm not really a i think because i sometimes see that in the wellness world also where it's like oh you know don't use any tech at all or <laughs> you know sort of like <laughs> are, are wheels in nature does anybody use a wheel in nature it's like you know if, if you want to do that that's fine um but I I like I like the positive aspects of technology. The question is just how can we use it? And in my own life, I've certainly noticed that I was there was a phase where I was hyper connected and really trying to do a lot. And you know, this whole thing of, of girl bossing came around and hustle culture and, and all of these things. And it had an impact on me. And it was a very negative impact because I was doing too much and my mind was. I always felt like my mind was filled to the brim with ideas and things I had to do and this sort of never-ending to-do list. So in the end, it really impacted my well-being. And I realized after I had my second burnout in my early 30s, I have my first one in my early 20s and the second one in my early 30s that I really, really needed to make a change in how in how I work, but then also in how I was using technology, because it was, I noticed it was a, a major aspect of why, you know, I felt so overwhelmed was just all this information I was taking in and ingesting that wasn't serving me in many ways.
0: Yeah. Wow. I can relate to that so hard because I feel like my brain is constantly filled to the brim with meaningless information. Like some of the, I I try really hard to follow people that lift me up and inspire me, but people aren't going to every single thing they post, it's it's not going to be something inspiring and uplifting and it's not going to be something that's of <laughs> use to me. So I feel mm-hmm. like even just filtering through all the noise is a lot of like energy expended to do that. And yeah. it's just so interesting that you mentioned like, you know, you grew up without it and now you see what it's been doing. And I think it'll be really interesting to see like what our children and the, the future mm-hmm. generations who don't know a life without social media and without technology in general, how that's going to affect them. Do you have any speculations or like what you think is going to be <laughs> happening with the future generation?
1: <laughs> I, you know, if, if <laughs> everyone's listen, everyone who's listening is going to be really rich in five years. So listen, <laughs> listen <to it. laughs> no, um, I think, fe- you know, what I'm seeing is that we're really at this, um, junction or at this bifurcation point when it comes to the internet because we have we have this one direction it could go which is sort of the direction of the metaverse you know that um facebook formerly facebook now meta introduced this whole online immersive world where they really i feel like to me i again the technology it's kind of crazy how we can create that it sounds really wild and at the same time knowing the business models behind Facebook and, and social media companies already. I'm very, I, to me, you know, I have this knot in my stomach where it, it just does not feel good the way mm-hmm. it is right now. I mean, you know, not to say that it could not be done in a different way, but really this one world where it's very centralized um, and we have this immersive online world. And then you hear about the emergence of web free, what is called web free. Um, which is sort of more decentralized you know it relies on blockchain technology and sort of people coming together in more autonomous um, ways and and self-organizing and just you know in case web free is is something that you or your listeners haven't heard before so there's this idea that the web the, the internet evolved in different stages and web one would be sort of you know the 90s when just content got online and you could suddenly read the news online and that was like a really you know crazy thing mm-hmm. and then two is what we saw sort of from I would say the middle of the 2000s you know once social media came around and really this era of when just the web really it, it kind of exploded and it moved into our pockets and there was this you know element of us being hyper connected all the time through social media but through centralized platforms and then now web3 is this idea where you know we're moving in a different direction and it could be it could be that or maybe you know a really unexpected other thing comes around but I feel like the question is really are we going more centralized or are we you know turning turning off somewhere way and trying to decentralize things a bit from you know these sort of four or five big tech companies that are pretty much running the internet right now.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And I'll be so curious to see what actually does end up happening, or if it's maybe like a mix of both or w- whatever ends up happening. <laughs> Who knows? But you mentioned Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Just because this is the newest social media platform, and I feel like it's kind of taking over. What are your thoughts on
1: TikTok? Ooh, because <laughs> I have my own thoughts, but yeah. I, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear your thoughts Um <laughs> as well. At, you know, I can share mine first if you want to. Because yeah, yeah. Know. Go ahead and I'll, I'll let but, you know what I think. Yeah. So I'm because of, I think, my age, mm-hmm. as silly as it sounds, I feel like TikTok doesn't quite speak to me in terms of the demographics who are on there and who they're you know sort of marketing to. I feel like I haven't quite figured out how or why yet, but to me, in my personal experience, TikTok has been the most addictive platform I've ever been on. So I've already deleted my account and I don't touch it because it's like, I think there's something with, it's very entertaining and there are, you know, really cool creators on there. And at the same time, this combination of sort of upbeat music and then people, you know, sometimes when you see people dance and they move in sync to it. It's just hypnotizing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> happening. But I even Instagram can sometimes be tricky for me because it's like ooh, pretty stuff, right? Or like interesting stuff and cool outfits and things like that. But just the the movement and the short form video content for me is it just pulls me in even more. And I don't quite know how the algorithm works, but i I've I think they made a really smart move when. Um, just from a business point of view, because TikTok for a while was this platform where you could go viral organically still, and you could reach or grow an audience um, organically the way it was possible on, you mean, still possible, but it was more easily possible on Instagram and other um, platforms a couple of years ago. So they really, you know, sort of lured people in with that and um, I think it was very compelling to create an account there and try to be a TikTok creative. But then, you know, at some point, I think they have to change the algorithm a little bit because now I feel like it's it's becoming more solidified, sort of in pop culture and how people are using it. So, mm-hmm. and you know, there's there's also this ongoing question of who actually owns TikTok and where the data goes to. That you know, sort of sometimes yeah. bubbles up in media, and then you know, we get other stuff happens that's more pressing and more important and then it you know goes down again and then sometimes it bubbles up again um where it's just not sure right it's not quite sure where where all that information is flowing so that for me would also be a concern in my personal usage
0: yeah those are all great points I have to agree with you I think it's very addictive and I personally don't really use TikTok. Like I'll go on it maybe once a month to catch up on maybe a couple people's TikToks that I, that I really like and who really mm-hmm. do lift me up and it doesn't feel like a time suck. But most of the time it does feel like a time suck. And I feel like I'm just scrolling through mindlessly watching these videos. And it's not like Instagram where you scroll and it's, a couple seconds and you go you're on to the next. Mm-hmm. With TikTok, you have to like stay and watch the whole video and mm-hmm. it's often a minute long and then you get to the end and you're like wow this wasn't even, you know, worth my time and then you're on to the next cuz you want something that will be worth your time yes. and you want that dopamine hit and it mm-hmm. never comes and then next thing you know it's been an hour and a half and <laughs> all you've done is sit and watch TikToks and it just feels icky to me. So I feel mm-hmm. like there has to be I mean, you can always set a timer on social media. And I'd like to get into this more with you, you know, how we can set boundaries with it. The timer doesn't really work for me because I just hit ignore (laughs) timer. So if you have any other suggestions, we can talk about that. But I just think that TikTok and just that short form video, it's become so popular, but it's also become really energetically draining for me. And I think that Instagram is also turning into that with the reels and everything and people reposting their TikToks onto Instagram. I'm being mm-hmm. bombarded by like all these sounds and noises on Instagram that I we all weren't being bombarded with before. And I think Instagram's changed a lot and that has its own cons as well because you end up doing the same thing on Instagram if you're watching right. reels. So yeah. there's, yeah, there's a lot there, but I feel like TikTok, it is easier for like creators to become, Mm -hmm. you know, TikTok famous and to gain a following. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, I guess that's good. And it's good if you want to, you know, spread an important message. And if people are trying to spread positivity, spread useful information, (laughs) then TikTok has its time and place. But I think in general, it is a time suck.
1: Yeah. And I like, I like the strategy that you're describing this, you know, when you have a couple of creators and you just go to their TikTok page and sort of see what they've been up to and you look at their content. And I think it helps also for Instagram, actually, it helps to stay out out of the feed if possible, because mm-hmm. then you see what you want to see and then the rest you, you can sort of figure out if you're actually in the mood to ingest the rest or not. And I think you said something really interesting that I, you know that just made a light go on in my head which is this whole this bomb. you know how you felt bombarded by mm-hmm. I think that's that might be it with the videos is you know there's there's not just an image and the text or you know a multi a, a carousel thing um post on Instagram but you actually have sounds and people talking and the movement and it's just in, in terms of the the sensory input it's even more and it's not just posts and then one video but it's really just you know that all the time that that might actually be what what to me makes tiktok ultra draining and why instagram kind of feels like it's becoming more and more draining too because it's just a lot of intake
0: yeah it's a lot of sensory stimulation and i'm very sensitive um i feel like others might be able to handle more, but after a certain point, I'm just like, I want to throw my phone across the room and just not be on any of it anymore. And I do, I do delete social media every once in a while and I'll delete Instagram if I need to study or have a big (laughs) exam coming up because I know how, how easily I can get sucked in. So (laughs) it is, it is an interesting thing that we have to deal with that, you know, our parents didn't have to deal with at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you, when you look to the, when you look at the studies around, you know, cause I, I'm a political theorist um, mm-hmm. or you know, my specialty is theory of democracy and really sort of the more esoteric philosophical ideas of politics. So I I actually have to look to other disciplines to look at, you know, what's going on in our brains when we're on social media and could that relate to, you know, how we think about, you know, society and, and how we want to be in a society. So I, I've recently been reading a lot of studies around mental health and the impact of especially Instagram because it's so visual and and also these other studies around, you know, our attention spans around, you know, dopamine and how and the attention economy and how all of that works. And a big outcome of that is if you don't, the way all of this is set up, especially for students um, or, or younger people in general, it, it comes you know they always phrase it so nicely in the studies it's like adverse effects on academic performance which basically means you know if you're on if you're on your phone too much you're not going to get good grades right <laughs> i i really i feel in a way i feel for you know your generation the people who are in school right now because you you're dealing you're dealing with something that we kind of didn't have to deal with at that, you know, intensity, we had their Facebook existed. And I remember, you know, when I had to study, Facebook was really interesting. And I, it's kind of this thing where you're like, hmm, maybe I really need to make sure that everyone I went to high school is just fine. Let me <laughs> research, Right. Just really silly things like that. And I also remember that WhatsApp was pretty, you know, at the time was pretty addictive to me. So I actually had to lock my phone in the locker <laughs> at the library to then go study because everyone was kind of doing it and you could see in the library who was on facebook and who was on their phone so the social oh control God. or social accountability element kind of didn't work for me so i actually had to lock the thing away but that's you know that was 10 years ago and Now it's just, you know, the, the level of that has increased. So I, you know, deleting social media during exam periods sounds like a really, really good idea. (laughs) I think you're doing that well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I, that's how I got through college. So if anyone wants any tips on getting good grades, that's my (laughs) biggest one, (laughs) but you mentioned the attention economy and I know you speak a bit, a little bit about that on your Instagram, on your blog. And I'd love to hear you speak a little bit more on that and kind of introduce that topic to my audience. Cause it's not something that I had really heard of before.
1: Yeah. So I, I kind of want to preface this with the comment that if you are, if you are listening to this and you feel like you're on your phone too much or Instagram, TikTok, you know, all of the social media apps or the games, if they're super addictive and you just can't manage to put it away, it's not your fault. And I, I really, I mean this because these apps, you know, our phones that we have, they're programmed or designed in a way to intentionally keep us hooked. And while our interest might be to just check Instagram for five minutes and see if we have a message or a like, the tech company's interest is to really have us spend as much time on there as possible because they need, they want our data, they want to know more about our user behavior. They want to show us as many ads as possible. So that's sort of the the general tension that we have between these two interests, right? Tech companies want us to spend more time. We kind of don't, <laughs> or not, not in the way they want us to do that. And right, thing with the attention economy is the we we live in a in a time where we have, you know, content is easy to come by, right? When you think about sort of the pre-internet age, you had a couple of newspapers, there were a couple of magazines, there were books. I mean, there was TV already, but there was way less content. And now everybody, which is cool, so is, can be a content creator, right? You need a phone basically and an internet connection and you can publish whatever you want in the world, which I think is, is awesome. Just to think about that possibility is, you know, no pretty much no thresholds for people to communicate like that with the world is very cool. And at the same time, because there's so much content out there that the bottleneck in this is not, you know, being able to publish anymore or, you know, people not being able to buy 50 newspapers in a day, but really the bottleneck is how much we can take in, which is, you know, in other words, our attention, because we can only pay attention to so much content in a day. And in a way you can think about it like when a car, you know, consumes gas to go from A to B and information in a way consumes or content consumes attention because at some point you just you just can't pay attention to any more stuff because your attention has been you know metaphorically speaking used up. And this leads to um, this competition basically between tech companies and in the economy in general for our attention because you know going back to what I said in the beginning, our eyeballs on a piece of content you know equal to, data and equal to us seeing an ad and in the end you know attention equals money so really the attention economy is this way of talking about business online or you know the the world of business online the economy online that relies on our ability our brain's ability to be able to pay attention to something so somebody else can make money. So what do we do then
0: as you know <laughs> consumers <laughs> of all of this content? And I'd love mm-hmm. to kind of bring in the boundaries conversation here because I feel like you bring up a great point. You know, we only have so much attention. So mm-hmm. how do we take our power back and sit in the driver's seat and set these boundaries so that we're not being consumed
1: by the content that
0: we're that we're seeing?
1: Yeah. I, I love I love that you're asking that. Um, because one thing I actually forgot <laughs> to mention in the earlier, um, you know, in, the, in your question before, is that it's not just the tech companies trying to get our attention. They have ways to get our attention by hacking into what is called the dopamine feedback loop in our brains. And dopamine is a neurotransmitter that we feel when, you know, things are nice. So it could be could be sex it could be joy you know hanging out with friends and having fun it could be pizza anything that really sort of chocolate right makes our makes makes our brain go like ding 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 this is awesome I want more of it all you know everything all of it all the time and dopamine is is it's a reward basically you know it signals a reward in our brain and when you program a device or an app in a way that every time you log on you get a reward, that's pretty nice, because you associate, you know, the, the let's talk about Instagram, then you associate Instagram, you know, you have a new follower, and you see the new follow, and you're like, oh, this is nice, and your brain creates dopamine, or, you know, it puts out dopamine, and then there is something you can do that's basically, you know, behavioral psychology 101, which is when you create the reward, but you make, it's called, you know, or you schedule the reward in an unpredictable way so that not every time you log on to Instagram you get your little you know excitement but every five times or every three times then it's even more interesting because you don't know for sure you're going to get it but you assume that you'll get it which is um You know, basically how a slot machine is programmed, because when you throw that money in or if you throw that coin in, you don't know when it's going to happen. And sometimes you get like a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of a reward, and you're like, ah, you know, I'm so close. Maybe next time or maybe the next 10 times. And it's the same that it's not, you know, Instagram is not a slot machine in the sense that it would be a direct analogy, but it is the, the mechanism behind it is really close to what a slot machine does. So really, your, we as as consumers, and I also want to point that out, there's there's a lot we can do, and we're still operating in a system that's not set up with our best interests in mind. And for all of us, you know, staring at a phone, there's basically a team of engineers on the other end in those companies who are trying to figure out but how exactly can I get AVA to spend two more seconds on Instagram? Because that already translates to my data and money. So We're really dealing with something that's quite complex. And at the same time, you know, I I also want to encourage you because there is a lot we can do. And one of the most important things is turning on and managing notifications because notifications are, you know, one of these little things the companies use to signal us like, ooh. You want to look because there might be dopamine for you, right? Maybe, maybe something really cool is happening. or maybe, you know, you have five new followers, like maybe it's your crush, you know, or maybe <laughs> is that really annoying coworker, <laughs> but still that, that does something to you. So it's really the sort of siren song of tech being like, Ooh, you know, come over here, take a look. And most of us actually, most people don't change any of the notification settings, which is very, very easy because you just go to the settings menu in your phone and then, you know, there's a a sub menu called notifications and you can decide for which app you want to keep them on, you know, what type of notification, if you want to just keep the set, you know, the sound or the vibration. Generally, I recommend turning as much of it off as possible for all the things that you don't need. I get that maybe, you know, if you have kids in school or you you want to keep notifications for email if you need it for work or, you know, for texts, if you, if you want to keep that connection, then keep those, but for all the things that are sort of frivolous and that you feel like are just really eroding your attention and they just want you to, or you you want to go back and check your phone all the time because of them, turn them off and see what happens because that already creates a bit of a barrier between you and the app and you and, you know, the thing you want to do less of.
0: Yeah, I love that tip. I've had my Instagram and um like Snapchat. I no, I think I still have notifications for Snapchat, but for Instagram <laughs> I I haven't had notifications on for I think 4 years now and it's nice. just so much better because then I get to choose when I want to go on Instagram. It exactly. doesn't get to control my life. Now I choose to go on there a bit more than I'd <laughs> like to. <laughs> You know, sometimes I'll mindlessly just click the app without even knowing Mm -hmm. why, but at least I'm not getting that, that like constant hit of like, there's something to see here. So that's a great tip for people who do have them on. And I think it'd be interesting to see what it'd be like to not have even like email or text message notifications on. And I know that some people, you know, they have other people that are responsible for something might be urgent, but if you can, that would be like a fun experiment to do, I feel like, and to see what life would be like. Because for me, it's the text messages and the emails are what are constantly yeah. coming up on my phone because I, I don't have the Instagram ones and a ton of other apps that I should probably turn <laughs> the notifications off for. And they they constantly, you know, get me and I'll be in the middle of doing work and then I'll see a text message and I feel like I immediately have to yeah. click on it. And so it's not even just social media like Instagram TikTok, Snapchat, and those kinds of things, but it's even our communication with
1: people on the internet in, in every way. Yeah, and I think it, it's great that you're bringing this up because it's really, I think we've, culturally speaking, you know, we've never had tools like the ones we have right now where communication is immediate, which again is so cool. I can talk to you. You're sitting in New York. I'm, you know, in the middle, I'm in the middle of the mountains. How awesome is that? But really what you said about being intentional and deciding what you want out of it. And also you can, I know it's complicated in some professions or in some way, you know, in some lines of work, but if you can, it's really great to consciously decide and give yourself a timeframe around when you actually want to check your communication. So you could do right now, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I aspire to check my email three times a week. That would be Perfect because my the nature nature of my work is in a way where I none of the things I do require a level of urgency where you know 24 hours, a 24 hour delay is a is a catastrophe. I know for some areas of work that's a lot, especially if the industry expectation is like that. But if you can, then setting fixed times is really great. And you know, three times a week sounds crazy, I get that. Um, but you could do you could do two or three times a day. And then you have your you have your time slot when you when you check maybe your emails and then your messages, and that's it. And because the challenge is also what I've noticed is that more email begets more email and messages beget more messages. So when you you know it, it sort of creates this, it starts with a snowball that turns into an avalanche. And we I think we slid culturally and with our behaviors into something that's not really serving us because we've just not had any precedent around the technology we have right now but we can we can also undo this and really figure out how it serves us um and how to use the technology create a space for a technology that's good for us and one one of the analogies i like to use is you know when you when you think about the internet the way it was in the 90s i know this sounds like tech nostalgia but <laughs> There was, I think a lot of us had these gigantic you know, monitors and then this, was this tower is sitting on the desk of its own. And it usually lived in a certain part of the house and you had to go to connect to the internet and you did your thing and then you left and the internet was where it stayed. And now the internet is coming with us all the time everywhere. You know, you can even bring the internet to the bathroom if you want to, or you can watch a movie in the bathtub. It's kind of cool. But then again, we we haven't learned yet to think about, well, do we want this? Do I really want to have a life or maybe a, a place I live in where the internet goes everywhere I am? Or do I want to designate areas, for example, it's like my bedroom where it's a tech-free zone or an internet-free zone. So if I want to watch a movie and I can, I watch it in the living room. Or I don't use tech after 10 p.m. If, you know, if you're a student or you, you're co-sharing your space with somebody, to really create intentional spaces that are where the technology is and where the internet is and then where it's not. And and really also get creative with it, right? I like playing with it. I like sort of gamifying it for myself. I'm like, hmm, what is it if I do, you know, 10 minutes less screen time today? Or is it possible? What would happen if I only check my phone you know, at noon and not before that. Is that possible, right? Or is it not? And if it's not, then it's not, that's fine. But just really sort of playing with it and experimenting with it. Because I feel like a lot of this conversation around, you know, phones are bad and social media is bad. It all sounds like, oh, you know, it's it's another thing that's not working in the world right now. And another thing that's bad for us, but it can be, it can be lighthearted and it can be fun in a way.
0: Yeah. I love making it a game. I have, A mentor who always tells me to make things a game and and to make it fun because what's the point of doing things in our lives if we're not having fun along the way so i really like that tip and you know i think i can't remember where i read this it was like a tip i read that was like you know what today Don't bring your phone with you into the bathroom and just see what happens. Like the time that it frees up to just think, because I think we've lost a lot of thinking time, you know, Mm -hmm. we're consuming, 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 and we're not having time to think things of our own and to, you know, create for ourselves and not just to create content so that we could put it out there in the world, but just for our own minds to have our own thoughts. And I think that was a funny tip to read. I think it was the human design app with Jenna Zoe. Ah, yes. I could see that coming from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who are listening who don't know what I'm talking about, I know I've mentioned human design in I think like mm. every single podcast I've done. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. once again, if you haven't checked yours out, go to myhumandesign.com and find your human design and explore that because it's really incredible. But very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jenna Zoe is a creator on the internet who kind of brought human design to the mainstream. One of the people who have, has been like doing that. And she has a, an app, a human design app that gives you a tip every day. I think that's where I read it is like one of her tips for the day was to, you know, don't bring your phone with you to the bathroom. And that can even open up some time for you to think and for you to. You know, create your own your own thoughts and your own reality instead of the reality you're living out on the internet. So I thought that was a really great tip
1: too. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's that effect when you know how a lot of people have really good ideas when they're in the shower because that's, yes, that's when you're not doing anything. You you can't I mean you can't scroll in the shower. I've I've not heard <laughs> of anyone who actually brings their phone into the shower. Is, so maybe that's sort of the last the last tech free space that we were the last scroll free space that we have and right and that's all we you know because your brain our brains need we need the input or we, we like the input but then also our brains need time to process it and and form connections with you know our existing knowledge and the new knowledge we're putting in or the new information and it needs time to form those connections and to process what we put in. So, if we fill every single moment of idle time—know, you waiting for a friend, going to the bathroom, waiting for the bus, waiting for you know a restaurant order, or waiting for um, to take away our coffee—if every time we spend those moments or we fill those moments with our phones, we're depriving our brain of an opportunity to to process what's been going on and also just to really tune in you know sort of when it comes to the bigger greater wellness conversation really to tune in with ourselves and check in like oh well how am I today and what's going on inside of me what you know why am I grumpy or maybe why am I anxious because when we fill all of this time with our phone then we we really deprive ourselves of of an opportunity to to be connected to ourselves that's Fairly easy to create. Right. I know it's challenging because right now we're really used to the dopamine hits and and sort of we're used to checking our phones all the time. But that's a fairly easy way, in my opinion, um, to be more connected with yourself. That's not, you know, meditating for an hour, like this sort of glorious 10 step multi element wellness routine. That's also really awesome. But I think for a lot of people feels pretty unattainable. So you can maybe frame um giving your brain this idle time, not as being lazy or unproductive or whatever comes up for you, but it's really, that can be your wellness right there.
0: Yeah. And that's accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone goes to the bathroom. You know, you don't need to take your phone in there with you. Everyone's in the shower. You know, I mean, everyone who's listening to this and who's privileged enough to be listening to this is probably also able to shower. So it's definitely um, an area that I think I could improve on. And I think a lot of people listening to this will probably think the same way because I feel like I've lost that connection with myself and I do make time to do that whole 10 step wellness routine. Which is
1: awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but even then I feel like my phone gets in the way of that as well. I'll be completely honest. I'll be doing my morning routine and I'll somehow end up on Instagram checking my feed and then I'll be like, okay, no, I need to put it away. Continue on. And it, it just, mm. it's, it just comes into every area of life, even when you try not to. So I think a big part of it is just being more mindful. And I think that I definitely need to start doing that. I'd love to talk a little bit about your PhD that you Mm -hmm. did are doing or in the Mm -hmm. process of writing. And I'd love to hear kind of what the specifics are on like what exactly you're exploring with Instagram and maybe Mm -hmm. what what the most interesting findings have been for you.
1: (laughs) This this makes a nerd very happy. Um, (laughs) So I'm you know, as I said, I'm a political, my, my specialty is political philosophy or political theory. And I got really interested at first in how politicians were using Instagram. I wrote my master's thesis on that. I looked at mm. you know, how um, the Obama administration was using photographs by their own in-house photographer to sort of shape the public perception narrative around Obama on their social media channels. And coming from a country, you know, Germany, we have a very uneasy relationship with um, photography in that way because of the Nazi history that, you know, the Nazis who related so much, or not related, relied so much on, you know, imagery to craft a certain image of, of Hitler in the public. So for us, a politician, there's very few things they can actually do that work within our culture and sort of presenting themselves. So I had, I looked at Obama and then I looked at Merkel, which was, you know, who was always, you would have photos of Obama holding a baby and Merkel would just sort of stand there, and the, you know, sort of in the back at the distance. And to me, it was really, really interesting to compare that and to sort of see how even the Merkel government was crafting um, a, a structure or narrative around how they were using photos on Instagram to reach out to to people, and also around the press, which is really interesting because before you had the press that would, you know, sort of you would have. PR photos or photos that you would submit to agencies from, you know, the side of the government. And then the agencies and the press would filter these photos and choose which ones to print up. But there you actually had a direct channel where you could choose yourself as, you know, the government or somebody in the white house, somebody in the chancellery, how they wanted the politician to be seen, but from their own point of view, which I think is, is really interesting already. But then you know, I, I finished that and then I, I started looking around and I started noticing more and more how far Instagram really went into our daily lives. You know, I saw how people were photographing their food all the time, which you know sounds minor, but to me, and you know, this phenomenon that it would be really important to have a photo of your food to share while you let that food get cold <laughs> before you eat it. That, that, you know, that was the first moment. I was like, hmm, something's going on here that we give more value to sharing the photo of the food than actually taking it into our bodies for sustenance. Um, I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, you, you also saw over the years, you know, as I work in tech and I had my startup and I saw a bit more what's going on behind the scenes of tech with, you know, investing in how all of that works, I just started seeing more and more interesting phenomenon in pop culture like you know also how we now have this sort of visual idea of beauty that looks you know very sleek the filters how they construct you know sort of the ideal female face where you know the chin is really thin and you can see sort of how people are trying to achieve that look with surgery or contouring you know extreme contouring It's, it's all it's all really interesting you know i'm I feel maybe five percent judgmental of it, and ninety-five percent, I'm just like, this is. I just observe it. I'm like, this is interesting. Why? Why would people do that? And, but then when you when you go deeper, you hear and you read all these negative consequences that Instagram has on, you know, people's well being, on their mental health, on how they perceive their body and how they perceive their life, because you know you see other people on Instagram having supposedly super duper awesome glamorous lives all the time where now we know a lot of that is actually really hard work but I'm not always I don't know about you but when I see a perfect picture on Instagram even though I study it and even though I know it I still my first instinct is ooh you know that's not my life ooh maybe I need to go for another run <laughs> or you know or maybe maybe I should change you know a couple of things in my life or why 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 is my life not like that and When you when you look at that sort of in the aggregate, and you see that over a billion people are now on Instagram, that 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 creates a change in society, and especially because I think we're now a lot of people, this logic of sort of the celebrity that we had, you know, before it was sort of a thing in celebrity magazines and how people created it, sort of spilled over into the politician, you know, how what I talked about with Obama and Merkel. And heads of state and how they're using Instagram, and then I think it sort of spilled over into the quote-unquote normal person. And now we're we're personal, you know, we're a brand, which is so weird for just a regular person to be a brand and think about how we present ourselves online, and and also how this sort of logic of celebrity of everybody, because the celebrities have a really exposed function in society or really exposed role in society, um, where a lot of people also project stuff on them, you know, or we we. Talked. we we think we're entitled to get certain things from them um, and relate to them in a certain way and i feel like that's really spilling over a bit for the average person too in how we are with with each other online how we think we can treat somebody just because they have a public instagram profile in many ways Um, and it's really you know when you think about how democracy works we have to be citizens right we have to participate and we have to be We have to inform ourselves um, and we have to have the mental capacity to inform ourselves and inform our own opinions. But when everyone's a brand and, you know, and a lot this logic of celebrity also comes into it. And when we are, because of how these platforms are created, we can't pay attention to what's going on anymore because we're so, you know, we we pick up our phones constantly. We have this mental and informational overload. Then how are we supposed to focus on the matters at hand and what's really important in in bringing our societies forward? And that's sort of, I think, with my research, I wish there was, you know, this. We like online. We like to have really simple things or like simple headlines, right? Like Instagram is bad for democracy or Instagram is is this or that. But in reality, a lot of things are quite complicated and more nuanced. So my research sort of (laughs) comes out at a more nuanced point of view that. Yeah, some aspects of it are interesting or great because we can communicate in different ways and we can connect across the world in different ways that we, we were not before. And we can see the lives of people in other areas of the world that we would have never had any you know chance to be in touch with before, which can be a great opportunity to build empathy for each other. And at the same time, we have all of these not so great consequences that really make me wonder how how much of a tool it is that's actually compatible with our ideas of democracy. And my advisor and I recently had this discussion around when you have the algorithm, that's sort of a central, it's a filter, right? Because the algorithm sh- decides according to how it's programmed or the task it has, what content you actually get to see. And that's based on what you liked before. And that's also based on what other people who are kind of like you also like. And when you think about that, when you, when a central, on a centralized platform that, you know, sort of services a billion people, a, an entity or a program actually from a centralized point of view controls what information you get to see, that to me is actually quite problematic because it's, it sort of takes away our opportunity to form our own opinions. And really choose the information you want to see. And I, you know, I'm hesitant. My advisor is like, you should go and say this is anti-enlightenment. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's a bit much. But it is, it really does something to, to us and our ability, I think, to form, you know, because of filter bubbles and everything we also know, to form our own opinions and our own worldview. Because the algorithm kind of creates it for us, at least in tandem with what we've liked before.
0: feel like I can unpack like every other (laughs) sentence you said there was so much goodness in there but what you're saying is really interesting because it kind of is just feeding us that confirmation bias of things that we're Mm -hmm. already believing and things that we're already interested in so how how much does it really expose us to new ideas and and Mm -hmm. new new experiences if all we're looking at is things that we were already believing in before and I think that people say that one of the pros of social media is that it exposes us to a lot but that is a really good question to ask yourself like how much am I really being exposed to and you know I will say I've I have been exposed to a lot of ideas a lot of tools that I use now that I I didn't I wouldn't have had without Instagram so it's not all all bad but it is interesting because they're all very they're all in a very similar realm and I feel Mm -hmm. like if if I want to actually expand my mind into new ideas and new topics that I haven't, you know, explored before Instagram's probably not the place I would do that. I would have to go out to the world and, you know, travel. I feel like that's a much better way to do that. And so it's important to think about, you know, how we're actually exposing ourselves to new ideas and how much Instagram is really playing a role in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, I think especially because Instagram is so visual I feel like my perception in my opinion is that the the image it has a different effect on us than you know when we engage with a text because when you read something I mean online we kind of you know we, we read in a way where we skim a lot but when it comes to printed text it we actually process that a bit differently because a lot of us at least I mean of course there's speed rating and everything but a lot of us actually really go into the text and process it and engage with the ideas. So it's a different, it, it takes a different amount of energy and maybe focus to do that. Whereas, you know, you can just look at an image and you already have, you have your biases and you have sort of your cognitive structure around. And a picture of a puppy will always be a picture of a puppy. You don't need a big description around that because you see it and you know it. And because it's so visual, I think it it, it, can, it can steer us more towards the things that we already like and know Whereas, you know, especially in a democracy, we have to, there will always be people whose opinions we don't share. And part of of why the system, I think, in theory, at least works quite well is because it creates a space where different opinions can coexist and there's, you know, an effort to find a compromise in a society that brings together as much or as many of these different positions as possible to reach a conclusion that sort of serves as many people as possible without giving the other people too big of a disadvantage but if you're only swimming in you know your own in the same uh, thought stew basically and you don't even see how other people live or what their concerns are because the algorithm doesn't show it to you that much and that goes on for years and years and years, and you spend, you know, two hours a day on Instagram, then in aggregate over time, that can become a problem. So, yeah. Totally.
0: And I heard you mention that we've become brands sort of Mm -hmm. a little bit earlier. And I kind of want to unpack that a little bit as well and hear your opinions on, you know, influencers, how everyone is kind of becoming an influencer these days. And, it's kind of become you know the norm i would say for people to have a platform to want to share their ideas and you know i'm you know we we're, we're both we're all participating in it and so it's it's just an interesting conversation to see what that's really doing to us so i don't know if you have any findings from your research on this or just your your own thoughts and opinions but i'd love to hear what you have to say
1: yeah um, i think that we Again, you know, having a platform comes with a lot of opportunities and you can use it for what you consider good. And of course, you know, we could argue what good is. I think it depends on the person, but you can use it with a good intention um, to share information or to create change in the world, um, to empower people, to show people beauty, whatever it is. Um, And at the same time, I think the average person is not we're not, I don't think we're aware of it enough to the extent that even somebody who doesn't use Instagram professionally still is playing according to that same logic. And you could think about, for instance, when you go on a dating app, and you know, for a lot of the dating apps, they connect to the Instagram profile and you can check out that person's Instagram profile. So instantly you go there and <laughs> That person, in a way, they have to self-present like a brand because they want to show they're awesome and date-worthy to somebody who doesn't know them. Um, so how do you do that with a couple of pictures that where you obviously put your best foot forward? I mean, you would do that on a date anyways, but visually you put your best foot forward. So it's really, you're you're telling the story as if you're basically a product and because you want people to engage with you and you want people to like you and swipe right. And I think that's something not just in the dating conversation, but in general that I think is lost in the overall conversation around Instagram and how we use it individually. Because even, even if you don't use it like you and I do, maybe you're still under that same logic and you still have to navigate that. And of course you could be like, you know, I don't, I don't care. I'm, I'm just going to post whatever I want. And tomorrow I'm going to show a photo of a pebble I saw on the street. You can do that, but you still, in a way, you're telling a story about yourself to the world. And the world will more and more because people more and more are used to checking out people's Instagram profiles, even when you look for a job, or I also saw that I found a report where um, it was about people wanting to join fraternities, I think. And, you know, the fraternity would check out their Instagram profile first to see if they were cool. So of course, it all it all plays into it and all plays into how society perceives us and how many followers we have, right? All of that is is now already part of the game and sort of how we move in society. Um, that I think we can't underestimate it, and at the same time, we need to be conscious of how much we're willing to play the game and how how far we're willing to go with it, right? And and which parts of our lives we're actually willing to share, not especially for people who use it professionally, and also for people who use it just on a person as you know from a personal point of view because also what's online once you know the internet doesn't really forget anything
0: yeah I think it really is up to us to be responsible for how much we put out there because it really is us buying into it it's a choice that we're putting ourselves out there no one's forcing us to have an Instagram or have a brand out there. But when we do, it comes with a major amount of responsibility. Cause like you said, when something's out there on the internet, it doesn't really leave. And that's something that my mom really tried to ingrain in, into me and my sister's heads when we were growing up, because that's when the internet was so new and we didn't really know what was happening. And especially for my generation, my sister's younger, but my mom would always be very cautious because it was something that was pretty unknown, but she, mm-hmm. she was right you know once it's out there it's out there and yeah. it's it's really scary when you think about it that something that you said years and years ago could be held yeah. against you and I'd love to hear what you think on like cancel culture because it's become so mm-hmm. normalized these days yeah. I think that like Instagram obviously plays a huge part in cancel culture I don't even think that cancel culture was such a thing before social media obviously mm-hmm. and so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Cause I personally think that it's ridiculous that we're taking things that are said out of context and we're ending people's careers because of it. And don't get me wrong. A lot of people who have been canceled they've done horrible things. Like mm-hmm. some of the people, not, not most. Um, a lot of the times I feel like it's unwarranted and we're not giving people second chances. We're not listening to their side of the story and it is controversial. So I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, Ec- excellent. <laughs>
1: There's um there's actually a wonderful book uh, about this by an author called John Ronson, uh, and it's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And he explores some of the early public shamings of sort of the early 2010s, you know, 2012, 13, 14, 15, where all of this started. And his, his book is great because he actually visits and talks to the people who were subject to a public shaming, what we now call cancel culture. And the the effects it describes, right? And sort of the, yes, some things should not have been said and done for sure. Um, Some things, you know, some people did pretty stupid stuff, um, made stupid jokes online for sure, very inappropriate things, but none of it was, you know, in a way, or what I think is is pretty horrendous about this is that we feel as a group, we can just um, dole out, justice or a sentencing to them when we actually don't know the full story we can never know because there's always you know if it's between two people or whatever's going on we don't know the context and often I feel like we we like to jump to conclusions where we don't have the full information and sure some things we you know maybe in our societal accord we don't like racism or misogyny or you know other things but at the same time it's very easy to condemn somebody for something they said 10 years ago when that might have been very questionable and certainly you know fair to say that that's not cool and at the same time i think it's very to me, it's really insane how we actually deal with each other online and where we think it's justified that, you know, a hundred thousand people pile onto one person and demand that they lose their job and then people are happy about it. I I don't I don't stand for that at all, and I don't agree with that because it creates an environment in our society where, you know, one, everybody's just being their most bland version online possible because nobody wants to get caught up in that. So we actually create an online world that's incredibly boring because everybody's just like, "I'm going to be really polished and safe," um, and I mean, that's not the same. You know, maybe taking a risk or bringing up, discussing controversial topics to me, or saying anything that might, in the slightest, be, you know, not polished is not the same as being intentionally, you know, basically an a-hole. Um, that 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 we need to separate out, but we really need to be careful that we keep an environment online where we can actually have discussions I mean (laughs) kind of right now we don't because we really like to to hate each other online um, which I also think is is really really challenging for a democracy because democracies live on a free flow and exchange of ideas and engaging with another person's idea and maybe even fighting about it on a when it comes to the idea but not the person and I also think that we really also need to take into account you know when somebody said something maybe 10 years ago in the early times of the internet or social media and they've gone through a growth trajectory and shown that they very clearly learned from what they did then who are we to really go ahead and say you know you should lose your job over this i i think you know to me that's I'm not down with it. (laughs) I I actually think it's quite worrying when it comes to how, how we're dealing with each other in a society.
0: I completely agree. It makes people scared to speak their truth. And, you know, if, if we're a society that says we're all about becoming better and, you Mm -hmm. know, everyone is all about self-development. Well, self-development is just growth and growth is making mistakes and then learning from them. And, I feel like there's no space to make mistakes anymore, at least publicly. And it's one thing for you to make the mistake, learn from it, and then go on the internet and speak about it, which I feel like a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. I definitely think I'm more comfortable doing that just because of the way Mm -hmm. the landscape is right now. But I think it's very powerful to be going through a mistake in real time and having people learn from that, but there's not really, we're not really there as a society where we're allowing people to kind of mess up and, and learn. And I think it is really damaging. Like you said, I think it's, it's not conducive to the free flow of ideas and not to get political, but I feel like years ago it was much more civil in the way that maybe a Democrat and a Republican would sit and speak about ideas. And it wasn't really about the other person, but it was about the the actual ideas and the exchange of ideas. And now I feel like people are just making it about the person who's talking, you know, they're making it about, I hate you because you have these beliefs. And I feel like it was much more civil a while ago where people would be talking about ideas and beliefs, but they would be than having a drink after together and, you know, yeah. good old buddies. And I just, I don't know if that's happening anymore. And I don't, I don't know if social media is one of the big reasons why, but I, I can totally see why it would be.
1: Mm. But what, what happens with social media is that we you know, we have, we have the negativity bias. So everything that's negative, we perceive at, you know, with a greater intensity, that's something that's positive. And that has to do with how our brain worked, you know, through evolution, because if there was a saber tooth tiger, you had to, you had to really remember that that wasn't a good thing. You could just, you couldn't just be there and be like, Hey tiger, I'm <laughs> going to be optimistic about you today. Um, and so we, we have that negative things online sort of get, saved or stored, you know, much more intensely in our brains than something positive. So, when we see somebody go through the the public canceling, then of course that creates an an input for us who are witnessing this that hmm maybe speaking up online or maybe saying something that somebody might interpret as remotely controversial controversial or just not polished, you know, like not playing it 100% safe is not a good idea. So I'm not going to do that. And I think that that in itself is already not very healthy. And then the other thing is that we, I feel like the internet runs on intense emotions right now. So we, and I remember this from my time when I was um, an editor in, in an, for an online news site, because I, my job was to put, to put together the news site and deciding you know, what would go on top and where, where it goes, what, and sort of how the headline would be phrased. And I always remember, and this is not just my perception, but also there are studies about this, that intense, you know, sort of the baseline intense emotions we have as humans, love, hate, disgust, things like that, really draw people in, and especially the more negative ones, because again, we have this negativity bias. So if I would have a headline that would slant things in a way that's, you know, maybe toying with people's emotions a bit, where it makes things slightly infuriating then you know you could not every time because people also get tired of that but you could I always saw it also with how my colleagues would run the site that you could see that something that would make people mad would probably draw them in more than something that's just positive so we we have I think also on social media we see this that negative emotions you know when you see something that really pisses you off you're just like oh I gotta comment you know and it just the inner gremlin just comes out and is so happy to have an outlet so if we want to change this um we I think it's going to take quite a bit of momentum to turn this around culturally but we we always have the choice even if we don't like something we can always scroll past it or we can sit with the emotion and consider if, if you know what is being said is so against our values that we feel like maybe we need to speak out, but then at least take some time to sit with what's being said and consider if your first answer to it or your first answer to comment needs to be you know, an insult or something that actually doesn't move the debate forward or if there's a way to express what's going on inside you or in your mind in a way that's actually conducive to to pushing the matter forward and actually focuses on the issue at hand and not you know the person being you know a terrible person and i think also we need i thought about this today you know even for radioactive material there's a half life right it decays every every so so many years half of it decays and becomes non radioactive but we don't have anything like that for people who were publicly canceled or you know basically what I was thinking is, well, what's the half-life of being a public a-hole? And we don't, we don't have any social precedent around, well, we, 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 like to topple people off of the plinth and, or off of a plinth and tell them that they've been terrible and should lose their jobs, but we don't have any expectations or we don't have any social convention or rules around, well, what does that person have to do to then reintegrate themselves into society? Like what, when have they done enough learning or what do they need to signal to us that we actually accept them back in so it's a very you know it's it's a very it's a it's a process that basically the person who's who's being canceled can only lose because as long as we don't have anything like that societally or any expectation of it well what's left for them where can we go and i think i'm saying this for things that are obviously not you know, with any regards to criminal procedures or something that you could, you know, report to the police and that comes with a proceeding of its own because then that actually has its process. It's just for people who don't conform to our expectations or who are saying things we don't like to hear uh, or we don't agree with. And I, I really think that is a very big area of the internet where we need to, as individuals, be very conscious how we create or how we participate in the co-creation of it.
0: Yeah, that is an excellent point that you bring up. And I think that that's something that it's so new that we don't, you're right, we don't really have a way to go about the reintegration of people who have been canceled. And I think you bring up a great point as well with the whole hate aspect of the internet and how we see things that we necessarily don't like to hear. I think it's really important to look at that. like. I'm of the belief that we're all responsible for how we feel. So if we see something on the internet that triggers us, or if we see something that, you know, hits, hits a nerve, then we should look at that. And we should look at maybe why that's happening Mm -hmm. to us. What happened to us in the past that this is a trigger now, because triggers are just mirrors for us to look inside ourselves and see where we need to maybe shift or grow. And so I think it's a, a good practice to, instead of being triggered by something and, instantly writing a hateful comment, which I hope that no one who listens to this podcast is doing that. And I don't think that many people are, but even instead of scrolling and just being like, you know, fuck that, let me move on. (laughs) um, I think it's, it's important to be like, okay, why did that trigger me? What is going on inside of me? And, and taking a look at that. So I love that point that you bring up and um, I know we're running out of time, but I do just want to end on a a slightly more positive note and talk about maybe a positive aspect that you found with your research and social media. I know you went to Iran, which is where I'm from, actually, (laughs) and I'd love to end on this because it is just kind of a fun connection that we have that, you know, I don't know many people who aren't Iranian who have gone to Iran just because of the Mm. way that the the country is and I'd love to see what you found in Iran that was maybe a positive side of social media. I know we were talking a little bit about it before, and mm-hmm. I'd love for you to
1: share that with the audience. I, I love that you're asking me this because we, we we had an opportunity to talk about Iran beforehand, and I you know all these beautiful memories came back to what I saw there and the people I met and how how much I got to see and learn that. This is, this is really a gift this question is a gift um so thank you for that <laughs> i um i've been to iran three times and the first time i actually went and couch surf there and for anyone who doesn't know i couch surfing i think i'm not sure if it's still in use much but it was a platform where you could have a profile kind of like social media and you could offer to host people who would come to your town or when you would travel somewhere else you could request to stay at somebody's house and since you know, I don't speak any Farsi, um, except for uh, you know, <laughs> I learned I learned DZ Doreen because <laughs> I like I like I like that um dish so much, uh-huh. but you know, in small things like how much is it and uh, well, you know, what, what you need to get by, but basically, I don't speak Farsi, so I wanted somebody or I was hoping that I could you know connect with people there who could help me understand the country better and really, um, yeah, just because of everything that had been going on and how Iran was portrayed in the media, I wanted to see what it was like sort of behind the curtain or behind that you know, story um, that we were told. And so the first two times I mostly went as you know, a tourist, we did some mountaineering, that was really cool just to see, that was actually super unexpected to see them the mountaineering community in Iran, and when we huge yeah huge yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and we um my so I, I met someone on couch surfing and her and i became really close friends which was awesome and for her i i you know dragged her into the mountaineering adventure and <laughs> we, tried, we tried to climb down um didn't oh wow it. yeah but it was so, you know, it was so cool to be up on, on, you know, the the hut and to see the camaraderie and sort of get just get a glimpse of that. And we tried again the year after, still didn't make it, but you know, whatever. Um, and just seeing that sort of sub community going on on couch surfing and anywhere else. And then the third time I went um, was because I wanted to go back and really understand one the art scene there, and then mainly how people were using Instagram and social media to to connect within their own country and also to to travel. Because at the time I felt, you know, again, this is my foreigner's eyes um, of somebody who also doesn't speak Farsi. So I can only interpret it sort of through that lens. But what I saw was that there were a lot of people you know, millennials, especially traveling in their country and telling stories about their country through Instagram was like this whole thing. And I met a couple of people who were sort of influencers in their own right with that. And they were really, you know, people thought they were so cool for traveling and backpacking within Iran. And I saw all these, because I got to see a couple of, you know, cities when I was there, but of course it's a huge country and it has so many different areas and so many different, um, climate zones also, you know, different microclimates or whatever you wanna call that. And I got to see all these different pictures of Iran also, you know, some forest, foresty areas in the north and then more desert-like areas and the cultural wealth and, and the history of it. And I thought that was so cool. It was just interesting to see how people in this country that had, and especially people, you know, roughly our age or in our age range, who had not so many opportunities to travel outside of the country. Um, how they were using Instagram as a tool to explore a country of their own and sort of take what we had seen on Instagram, the sort of, you know, travel culture of like a cult- culture of like, oh, you know, I'm going here and I'm going there and look at my awesome photos, how they were translating that into their own sphere and their own realm to create this own type of thing for them. I thought that was, that to me was awesome. And I like how... Instagram is actually a tool that we can connect to people across the world sort of on our own accord and had I not had the opportunity to connect with my friend on couch surfing, I would have never, never gotten that glimpse. So in a way it wasn't Instagram, but it was a social media platform that allowed for that. And yeah, you know, people were really friendly to me in the streets of Tehran and and there were so many people who were like, you look German. Can I practice my German with you? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But that, that I I really like that, but that would have been, you know, a totally different experience than really getting to meet people through the access that couch surfing gave me or the access point that couch surfing was. So I'm, I'm very grateful I had that. And I'm also, I mean, it's making travel to the US a bit more complicated for me now, but it was, I think it was worth it because I got, I got to learn so much and I got to see so much. And you know, to to be honest, I should also add that for a while, when I was in uni, I think especially for people who weren't into social sciences, there was this trend, or even, you know, in my city, Munich at the time, where a lot of people, millennials, were traveling to Iran to actually learn and see what it was like, because everyone who came back said, you know, there's a lot to see, it's a really cool country to travel in, actually, because people are very hospitable and very welcoming to an extent that most of us hadn't seen it elsewhere in the world so every time somebody came back more and more people were like hmm, maybe I should go so it was it was this micro trend of going to Iran that went on for a couple of years um up until a point where there was a saturation it's like oh you've been to okay well <laughs> three <laughs> right <laughs> wow that's so cool that's such an amazing
0: experience that you must have had and it's so different probably to see it from you know I mean I'm also not I moved from Iran to America when I was like three years old so I wouldn't Mm -hmm. consider myself fully you know immersed Mm -hmm. in the culture so it is interesting for me as an American Iranian to go Mm -hmm. and see it but I can't even imagine what it'd be like as someone who doesn't have any of the background or heritage to go and really experience that and I am so happy that you had such a positive experience and I think it it is portrayed so negatively in the media and just in the world and Iran has literally so much beauty out there and it's things that I haven't even experienced yet. Like I would love to go and just be a tourist because oh, yeah. I go and I visit family, but it's, it's very different. And I've dabbled a little bit in seeing the sights and doing things like that, but not, not quite um, to the extent that I'd like to. So you're inspiring yeah. me to even go back to my own country again and just explore a little bit more. Wow. But I love that you shared how how positive social media can be to, you know, make connections with people in Mm -hmm. other parts of the world. And even how people in Iran are using it Mm -hmm. to, to see their own country more in ways that they weren't before. So I love ending on that note. And I have just loved this conversation so much. This has been so, so amazing. And I have gotten so much out of this personally. So I hope that everyone else has too. But before we before we end today, can you just let everyone know where people can find you, work with you, all your all your mm-hmm. information and offerings? All, this, all, all
1: the deets. Um, yes. well First, I, I also want to say thank you for having me. This was wonderful. And oh, I'm, still, I'm still smiling about my travel memories now. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, yeah. And you people can reach out to me. I have a website, johannarino.com. Um, I write a newsletter. I'm, I'm really big on um, newsletter email marketing because I try, given that I do all this research, I am on Instagram and you can follow me there. I, I do post, you know, once in a while when I feel like it, but I, you know, because I do all of this research, I'm a bit hesitant to fully immerse myself in it. So I actually love connecting to people via email. And especially if you have any questions about what I said or know if you want to talk about traveling to iran (laughs) or anything else um you can also reach out to me and send me an email i love getting emails and i i take a little while to respond because you know i try i try to be mindful of how i engage with the digital world but i do read all of them and i do answer to all of them so that that is also wonderful and you can work with me Um, i mean i do wellness coaching and consulting i help people one-on-one to do this but that being said i have a course coming out that walks you through you know the different steps you can take and and the different habits you can stack on how to create digital wellness for yourself in a way that actually works for you not just you know silly prescriptions like oh do a digital detox every week because that doesn't work for everyone so the question is really how can you how can you figure this out in a way that it actually is good for you um so i do that I do, I mean, I do corporate workshops and speaking if anybody wants to do that because I feel like we need, we just need to spread this information far and wide. And if you like this and if you like my work, feel free to spread it to anybody who needs to hear it, you know, share with people that they need to turn off their notifications. That's also a big one. Um, And I have a ton more of, you know, blog posts and and resources on my website and I I keep building it. So there's more to see there and more to learn.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, definitely go check out Johanna's blog. Um, I really like a lot of the posts that you've, that you've published so far, and I'm looking forward to reading oh, more and I'm going to join your email list right after this. Cause Ooh. I have just loved <laughs> the conversation what? so much and I want to be informed more about your work and everything you're discovering. So thank oh. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And I hope you all have a beautiful day.